right, church, if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you go ahead and open them with me to the book of Mark. Heading back to Mark. Mark chapter 8. Have I grown or has this thing shrunk? What do you think? Maybe I'm going to switch this one up. Um, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. Um, church, I would love it if, uh, even if you have Bibles, um, find somebody around you, a neighbor, a friend, who doesn't have a Bible or who needs a Bible, uh, and give that one to them. Do that experiment. See what uh, God would do. See if God will open a door for you. Why don't you take that as a challenge? Um, I'll buy you a cheeseburger or something if, if it works out. Um, all right, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 21 together in just a moment. Mark chapter 8. Okay. So this is, uh, this is a big idea this morning. This is a big idea this morning. What we see when we see Jesus is the most important part about us. What we see when we see Jesus is the most important part about us. Would you pray with me as we approach God's Word? Father God, um, I feel particularly helpless to proclaim Your Word today. But Father, that's okay. Because we don't rely on the preacher. We know that Your Word is what is powerful. And so Father, we, we ask that as we look at Jesus, and we talk about looking at Jesus, Father, would You show Him to us clearly and gloriously. Father, would You... Sometimes we haven't done this ourselves. We haven't done the work of, of plowing the soil of our heart to prepare for the Word. Sometimes we haven't done that. But Father, that's okay because You can do those things. So Father, we ask that if there are any unplowed hearts, any hearts unprepared to hear Your Word, and Father, I think we could all say that we're, we're all, we all need that. We all need that. We need You to go before us and plow our hearts, till the soil, so that when this Word, this seed falls in our heart, Father, that it would find good soil. And that Christians would be transformed more into the image of Jesus after seeing Jesus. And if there are those here today who are not followers of Jesus, Father, when this seed is planted in their heart, may they see Jesus clearly for the first time. May they have faith in Him. Father, You are good. Please be with us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about us. Last week, the first section of chapter 8, we saw a tragedy. We saw an absolute tragedy. We saw men seeing Jesus with their own eyes and yet not seeing Him. We saw a tragedy. We saw Jesus 
perform an incredible miracle of which if we were to see it, we would hope that we would say there's no doubt in our minds that this man is God. That, that's where I hope I would be. And yet, we see this miracle performed and men approaching Jesus, seeing him with their own eyes, knowing what he has just done, and yet not seeing him. We saw the Pharisees that their self-righteousness has blinded their eyes. And upon seeing Jesus and His miracle with their own eyes, their self-righteousness blinded them so much that they presumed to judge Jesus, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. Jesus, we see the power You did. Now give us a sign of Your authority. We demand a sign. Seeing Jesus with their eyes and yet not seeing Him. Jesus reminds us of King Herod who saw before Him perhaps the greatest prophet of God not named Jesus, the John the Baptist. John the Baptist calling Herod to repent from his worldliness, from his wickedness, from his lust, from power, from his violence. And yet all these things have so blinded Herod that he saw John the Baptist. He saw the Word of God being proclaimed to him. He heard that. And yet he could not truly hear he even recognized John as a holy and righteous man used by God, but he didn't recognize the Word of God coming from his mouth. And he chopped his head off. And even, even the disciples who have been with Jesus all these years, who have seen all His miracles, even in the boat as Jesus warns them, have eyes to see and have ears to hear, have, have well-tilled soils of your heart open to see who I really am. Even the disciples, although they see Him every single day, they do not really see Him. Although He was in their boat, they did not fully recognize Jesus. And the last words of that section, Jesus tells His disciples this, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? Understand what? Understand who Jesus is. Another way we could say that, do you not yet see? Do you not yet see? What we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about us. In fact, our eternal life hangs in the balance. What we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about our eternity. And so, read with me if you will. Jesus has experienced this firsthand, really in your face, these last few sections of people seeing Him, being can reach out and touch Him, looking at Him with their eyes, seeing the things that He has done, hearing His Word, and yet not truly seeing Him. And He's going to give us a compassionate parable to teach us about seeing Him for who He truly is. Let's read together. Let's start in 21. We're going to, we're going to start with that context, and we're going to read. We're going to read all the way through 33. Seeing Jesus... What we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about us. Verse 21, big number 8, little number 21 goes like this. And He said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. 
And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand. Isn't that a compassionate picture? Took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I, I see people, but, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village and Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, He asked His disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told Him. John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered Him, you are the Christ. And He strictly charged them to tell no one about Him. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that the Christ, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are not, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of of man. What we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about us. And so to tell us this, to show us, to talk to us about our eyes, Jesus gives us a compassionate parable with this blind man. After all this confusion, being near Jesus without seeing Him clearly, Jesus uses a miracle to teach us a spiritual lesson about our eyes. As we now know in Mark, Jesus is the most famous person in the country. Everybody's heard about Jesus. And so they, the, Jesus and the disciples keep ping-ponging around the sea, and they come to this other area around Bethsaida, and everyone has heard about Jesus. And so a group hears he's there, cares about this blind man, has faith at least in Jesus' power, and rushes the blind man and begs Jesus to heal him. Have you ever begged that Jesus would heal somebody? Have you ever begged that Jesus would heal someone spiritually? And this, this blind man comes, and, and we know that he wasn't born blind because when Jesus heals him partially, he says, well, I see people and they look like trees. Well, he knew what people looked like. He knew what trees looked like. So somewhere along the line, he lost his eyesight. And get a load of this for his compassion. How many of us men would be willing to do something like this? He goes to the blind man, takes him by the hand, holds this guy's hand, and walks him away from the crowd. Jesus establishes, don't you love this about Jesus? He longs to establish a personal connection. Christian, you have a personal connection with Jesus Christ. You're not just another name on His list. He loves you personally. He knows you personally. By the hand, 
Why, why does he take him away from the crowd? Well, the crowd, as we know, as we've seen before, the crowd could get pretty, pretty loud. It could be a big ruckus around these crowds around Jesus. And this man can't, can't, can't see, he can hear, so he has to rely on that. So Jesus maybe is getting them away, him away from the crowd so he can, hear exactly what's, or he can hear exactly what Jesus is doing. Maybe Jesus is removing him from the crowd because we've seen Jesus be very discerning with who he does miracles around. Because he doesn't want his, his miraculous signs that are supposed to show that he is God, he doesn't want them misconstrued and people think it's just some black magic or he's a paid fake miracle worker like other Greek so-called miracle workers or he doesn't want people to take it as a sign that he is the violent Messiah here to kick the Romans out as we saw when he fed the 5,000. They rose up, they saw this miracle, they wanted to take him by force and make him king. That's what Mark tells us. So he's very discerning. And so perhaps for these reasons, he, he brings the man, takes his, him by the hand, brings him to a more secluded place, and then he spits. Spittle is associated with healing, but as we feel, they also felt back then, often considered disgusting. I know that feel like, I, I, last night I picked Judah up and I hold him, hey buddy boy, and this big old drool just went right down, hit me right on the nose. It, whoa, you know, one of those things. So perhaps Jesus is testing the blind man's faith. How, how much does he really trust Jesus? Yeah, I'm going to spit on you. And then get this, we don't know if he spit in his hand. We kinda, I'm kind of want to be more polite and say he spit in his hand. Uh, some commentary said he opened the dude's eyes and poof, spit right on him. They asked Jesus to touch him. Jesus touches him, touches him. And then we get something really unique. And this is why we know Jesus is telling us something in this miracle. Because this is the only partial healing we've seen. Do you see anything, Jesus says? The man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Did Jesus make a mistake? Was his power at 50%? What's, what's going on here? Because we're, we're, we're used to the immediacy of the miracles. Jesus says, I'm going to make bread for 20,000 people, 20,000 pieces of, 20,000 people, 20,000 worth of food comes out of his hand just because he says it. We, that's what we're used to. Be, take up your mat and walk. That's what we're used to. Demon come out of him. That's what we're used to. We're used to immediate results from Jesus' miracles. He never has to work hard for these healings because he's immensely powerful because he's God. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Now, Jesus is not just using this guy to teach us something. Like He's just not just using this guy. He has compassion for this man. But in his healing, he can use it to teach us something. He deliberately is healing this man in stages. Do you see anything? That's a question for the disciples who are around. That's a question for the disciples. In the back of our minds, we need to remember just a few verses before that, the Pharisees. Do you see who He is? Pharisees. Do you see anything? 
Many Old Testament prophets performed or acted out parables for their people, for the people of Israel, for disciples to learn something. That's very similar to what Jesus is doing now. Isaiah, how would you like this ministry? Isaiah 20. God told Isaiah to walk around naked for three years as a sign against Egypt and Cush. I don't want to sign up for that one. God told Jeremiah to break a potter's earthenware flask to show how God will break the disobedient Israelites in Jeremiah 19. God told, hey, like this one. This one's really funny to me. God told Ezekiel to build a model city of Jerusalem out of clay and play with it and then build little siege equipment and army, play army men out there to show Israel this is what's coming. Ezekiel 4. So Jesus performs a partial miracle, and you've got to think, he, he did, it doesn't work. I mean, that's what it goes halfway. I see, sort of, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Something is, is still wrong. And the disciples are probably going, what? That's not supposed to happen. That's never happened before. So the disciples are saying, there's, there's something going on here. And then Jesus laid His hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. Sight was restored. And here's the really important phrase. He saw everything clearly. Disciples, are you seeing everything clearly? And now, of course, we don't need to just exclude all other things from this miracle. The, the, we need to understand this miracle is showing that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is God. Who else can open the eyes of the blind like this? No one. So that, that needs to be the foundation. Yes, this is what Jesus is showing us. He showed us all throughout. This is another example of how Jesus is God. Wow! God among us. God in flesh walking among us to save sinners. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 35, 5-6 says it clearly, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened by the Messiah. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He opens the man's eyes. He sees everything clearly. And he says, do not tell the crowd. Apparently Jesus saw something in the crowd. His discernment was clear. Don't go back to the city. Don't go back to the town. Don't tell everybody. Because something in that crowd to tell them that would disrupt the mission, would disrupt the message. Maybe they would think Jesus was a pagan miracle worker. Maybe Who knows what Jesus saw, but He saw something there that would disrupt His message. That would make people see Him unclearly. Very important to recognize that this passage is smack dab in the middle of the book of Mark. This is the turning point in the book of Mark. Chapter 8 of, chap- of 16 chapters. Now, Mar- now, Mark didn't write the chapters down, but the person who did saw that this is, this is halfway. This is halfway. Mark wrote this halfway for a reason. This is the turning point. And for all of creation, this is the turning point. Who is Jesus? 
For every man and every woman who's ever lived, this is the turning point. This is the question that our eternal lives hang on. Do you see Jesus clearly? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you see Jesus as a fuzzy tree walking around? Or do you see Jesus as Jesus? So after, after this par- compassionate parable, Jesus turns to the disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? How do they see me? Some say John the Baptist. That's kind of silly. The dude died two chapters ago. That's not John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great man, but he's not John the Baptist. John the Baptist and Jesus overlap. I mean, they they lived the same time. Jesus is Elijah. Well, that's that's a. I mean, that's a good man. That's a one of the most beloved and powerful Old Testament prophets of God. The rain stopped when Elijah prays. He resurrects a dead son. He calls down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal. I mean, that's a, that, he's, he's a powerful guy, but no, Jesus is not Elijah. One of the other prophets of the Old Testament, Jesus is a prophet, but no, He's not one of them. What do the Pharisees say? The disciples left that part out. What do the Pharisees say? The Pharisees say he is demon-possessed. He's working with Satan. But all these, all these people, all these ideas, seeing Jesus this way is seeing Him as if He's a tree walking around. They're not seeing Jesus clearly. Some are closer than others, but all of them are incomplete. He is a prophet, but to say he is just a prophet is like saying he is a tree. He is a great man of God, like John the Baptist, but to say he was only a great man of God like John the Baptist is like saying Jesus is a tree. He is a great miracle worker like Elijah, but to say he is only a miracle worker is like calling Jesus a tree. And he asked them, all those people say that's that's tree stuff, calling me a tree. All that stuff is as wrong as calling me a tree. It doesn't make any sense. That's 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 how wrong it is. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. You are the Christ. Now we got a little bit over into the next section because it's important to note we just Peter calling him the Christ and understanding what that means are two different things. And so Jesus goes on to tell them what the Christ does. What does the Christ do? The Christ dies for sinners. The Christ rises up and what in three days when what does peter do peter takes jesus and walks him out and he rebukes him you can't say that does peter yet see jesus clearly no no 
Even calling Him the Christ can be incomplete if you don't see what the Christ is going to do. To see Jesus as the Christ, to see Him clearly, to see Him not like a tree, but to see Him as the Christ, who He is, is to see Him as the Anointed One of God, the Messiah. He's the coming One who will make all things right. The One who will save God's people and establish His kingdom forever. The One who has promised to write His laws on our hearts and put the Spirit of God in us. Who will rule with justice and mercy. Who will save His people from their sins. Who will glorify God by bringing sinners into the kingdom as sons and daughters. And He will do this by being our substitute on the cross. By taking the punishment that we deserve to turn away the wrath of God. And He will die in our place. And He'll be raised again in three days because death cannot hold Him. Why? Because He's not a tree. Death cannot hold Him because He's not just a prophet. He's not just John the Baptist. He's not just a man. Death cannot hold Him because He is God. This is the center. This is it. This is the middle. This is the middle of the universe. This is the middle of the book of Mark. It's the center of all of our stories, whether we know it or not. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ. He's our substitute on the cross. He's the resurrected one. He is God the Son. To believe anything other than this is woefully insignificant. To believe anything other than Jesus is fully God, fully man, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, eternal, the anointed King of Israel, the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the atoning sacrifice who is returning to put all His enemies under His feet as He reigns with God's people forever. If you have anything other than that in Jesus, you are blind. To believe Jesus is anything other than that is worse than thinking I'm a tree. It is the same kind of wrong in the way the blind man confused trees for people. In fact, it is less wrong to believe I am an oak tree than to believe Jesus is just a prophet or a teacher. You with me? If I, if I told you I'm looking out on a group of trees right now, it is less crazy to say that than it is to say that Jesus is not God. Are you with me? So what we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about us. There are many, there are many thoughts about Jesus. There are many sayings about Jesus in the world that are woefully inadequate. There are many people calling Jesus a tree when they say things like, He was just a good teacher. Or, with the Pharisees, He is demon-possessed. Or, He is just a prophet. Or, Jesus is just a myth. Jesus is Elijah. 
Jesus is John the Baptist. Jesus was just a man. Jesus died on accident. Or Jesus died to show us how to live a good life. All of these things are as crazy as, as all of these things are as incorrect as calling a man a tree. Let's say it one more time. Who is Jesus? When we see Jesus clearly, what are we seeing? Well, the Word of God spells it out clearly to us. Jesus is God in flesh from eternity past. The second person of the Trinity, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life because He is fully God, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on, a, on the cross as the perfect human substitute because He is fully man. He died to turn away the wrath of God for all who have faith in Him. He was dead for three days. He rose from the dead. A declaration of total victory for His people over sin, death, and hell. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession all the time for the saints, awaiting the day that He will return to judge the living and the dead, and He will reign over the new heaven and new earth forever with the saints in perfect joy. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And when we see Him, is that not the most beautiful picture you've ever seen in your life? Is that not the most incredible man you've ever seen in your life? When we see that, when we understand who Jesus is, and we see Him for all His glory, the thought of removing something like that is just unthinkable. The thought of removing a piece of that is unthinkable. It takes away all His beauty, all His power, all His glory. To take away something like the cross is to call Him a tree. I mean, just take away who He is. What we see when we see Jesus is the most important thing about us. And so, why, why don't we see Jesus as who He is? Why, do, why, does, it, why does every person on the planet born, living a life, and seeing Jesus as a tree? Why is that our story? Until we meet Jesus and see Him clearly, why were we so confused about Him? We cannot see Jesus in our, in our sin, natural man, outside of grace through faith. We cannot see Jesus as Jesus because in our sin, every part of our nature and body is fallen. This is the doctrine of total depravity. It's very important. It's very important. Without total depravity, we say things like, well, you can be good enough to earn God's favor. Or you can be smart enough to learn enough about God to earn God's favor. Or you, your, your, your eyes are clear enough that you could see Jesus on your own. No, every, every part of our faculty is bent and broken by sin. It doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. Without Christ, I could still give a homeless man a sandwich. It's not saying I always do evil things. It's saying that Every part of my eyes, my spiritual eyes, my spiritual ears, every part of me is bent away from God. And so all of us at one point at least saw Jesus as a tree because we, are, we were spiritually blind. At one time, we believed, Christians, at one time we believed Jesus was foolishness. 
1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolishness. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. At one time, and listen, we have family members who are unbelievers who still believe Jesus is foolishness. We have friends. We have neighbors. What's foolish about Jesus? His teaching on love your enemy is foolish to those who are perishing. Tithing is foolish to those who don't see Jesus clearly. Sacrificing for others is foolish for those outside of Jesus. Submission is foolish to those outside of Jesus. Sexual purity is foolish to those outside of Jesus. Taking up your own cross. We're going to see Jesus say that shortly. Taking up your own cross is foolishness. My need for being saved? I'm not that bad a person. It's foolish to think I need to be saved. God the Son dying a bloody, humiliating death on the cross and rising again is foolishness. Why can't we see Jesus clearly? Because we believe He is foolish. We see Jesus as a tree because our hearts are hard. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. That's what he accused the disciples of when they were in the boat. Are your hearts so hardened too? Hardness of heart. I feel this way. I think this way. I will treat you this way. And there's no changing it. There's no changing me. My heart has no flexibility, no room to grow, no room to change. It is stone. This is what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the sower. When the word goes out, the soil is our hearts. And how is your soil? Is it, is it, is it broken up? Is it ready for the seed? Is it hard like a rock? Are there thorns? How does it receive it? Well, outside of Christ, our hearts are hard. And we like it that way. We see Jesus as a tree because we are hostile to, the God, to God in our minds. Romans 8, 7-8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We are not sinners with a heart of gold. So how? How then do we see? How then do we see? If seeing Jesus clearly is the most important thing about us, how do we see Him? If all these things are true of me, if my heart was hard, if my eyes were blind, how then do we see? Christian, God came to you while you were blind, while you called Jesus foolish, while you saw Jesus as a tree, while there was no, nothing redeeming about you, while you did not deserve a single thing from God except hell, God came 
to you. And in His overwhelming grace, He opened your eyes. Isn't that amazing? Before you did one righteous work, Christian, God opened your eyes. Think about this. God sent the Son to die an excruciating death on the cross. And I'm in the crowd calling it foolish. I'm in the crowd spitting on Him. As He's hanging there dying on the cross, His blood spilling out to cover sinners. And I'm yelling and screaming profanities at Him in the crowd. And yet God, as, I'm, as those are on my lips, as they are exiting my mouth, these profanities, curses toward God, as that is happening, God has reached down and opened my eyes. To see what I've been doing, to see what I've been calling the Son of God, to see what I've been what I've been acting against, to see what I've been calling foolish. I see it clearly for the first time. That is the grace of God. Mid curse, your eyes were opened. That's the grace of God. How do we see? The loving, compassionate grace of God has opened our eyes. God who is rich in mercy. When we saw Jesus as a tree, He opened our eyes to discover that no, He is the Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Ephesians 1. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of Him, having opened the eyes of your hearts, enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Just as the blind man couldn't see Jesus without Jesus, we are spiritually blind without God's merciful opening of our eyes. Do we see, Christian, do you see? Do you see in this, do you understand and do you see the grace of God alone? Do you see the grace of God alone in this? Do you see how this step is why we can never claim our righteousness makes us acceptable to God? Do you see that? Do you see how we can't even do righteous things? We can't even make that step. We can't even do those things. Why? Because we can't even see who Jesus is. Do you see the grace of God for you? Do you see how you can't earn it, Christian? He's not asking you to earn it. Do you see how out of, his, out of His love for you, out of His mercy for you, alone, He opened your eyes while you were in an enemy, while you were in the crowd with me, while we were cursing the man hanging on the cross mid-curse, He opened our eyes to see the truth. That's God's love for you. That is God's grace for you. 
and if he opens your eyes when you did not deserve it, now that your eyes are open, what in the world would make him cast you off? Are you with me? If he opens your eyes mid-curse, what now could have you cast off? Nothing. Nothing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Christian, I hope, I hope what we've seen today is the great grace of God to undeserving lives like mine that I didn't even see who Jesus was, that I saw him as foolish, that maybe I was a Pharisee and I saw him as evil. Where were you before you met Christ? What did you think he was? What blasphemy were you hurling at the Son of God? And yet, even in that, God's mercy and grace for you, He opened your eyes. Do you remember that moment? And so Christian, if that is true of you, how are we treating those around us who are still blind to who Jesus is? Are we loving them? Are we showing them grace? Are we, are we expecting them to act certain ways when they can't even see Jesus? Maybe you're here today and maybe you feel the weight, the burden of your sin. And maybe you know the right answers, but you feel like your next sin could make God cast you off. Maybe that's where you are. And my prayer is, I hope you see that God's grace for you came when you didn't deserve it. Romans says it this way, uh, for a good person, someone might die. For a righteous person, someone might die. But while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. If he died for you while you claimed to be his enemy, what would make him cast you off now? That you love him. Nothing. I pray you can rest in that. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. That you realize I'm still calling him a tree. I'm calling him X, Y, and Z. I see him as something that he is not well our prayer today for you is that god will remove the scales from your eyes the dirt from your eyes and help you to see that jesus is the christ the son of god who died on the cross for the sins of the saints who took our place who drank the cup of the wrath of god reserved for sinners like me and he rose again three days later because death could not hold him That's our prayer for you.